Welcome to another episode of Talking with Bungie, the Death by Bungie podcast. But it's the perfect time of year to be ordering apple trees to plant for your property. Now, apple trees, something I've done some videos on in the past. If you're familiar with Death by Bungie, the YouTube channel, then you are familiar with the apple tree videos that I have done. Everything from pruning to spraying and all that good stuff. I've had a good run with apple trees pretty good success rate with getting them to live. And if I had it all to do over again, I would probably do things quite a bit differently. But hopefully this podcast episode will give you a chance to learn a little bit from my mistakes. And if you're interested in apple trees for deer, planting apple trees for wildlife, this podcast will give you a quick start in getting off on the right foot. Let's say I am happy to have as my first guest on the Death by Bungie podcast, Mark Borchert. Mark, thank you for joining me on this and taking time out of your evening to talk to me about apple trees. Uh, it's good to be here with you, Rich. Well, I really appreciate it. You go back quite a ways with Death by Bungie, am I correct? Yes, uh, it's been five, six years at least. I think some of our earliest contact was, in fact, it was about apple trees as some of the reasons for some of our earlier videos. And you actually corrected me once, if I'm not mistaken, where I referred to, I kept referring to different types of apples as species, different species. And of course, all apples are the same species, as, as you pointed out. They're different varieties. So the terminology was very important. But it was, it was I, re I remember a lot of this stuff because you and I have had an awful lot of interactions, both on Facebook, YouTube, and, and what have you. So, and I've learned an awful lot from you. I was uh, telling you earlier here, and it's, you know, this is one of those situations where I actually recorded this whole podcast with notes from you. I got your, in I solicited your input first, and then I went and did a podcast of me sort of relaying your notes in addition to what my thoughts on it. And then I got done with it. I'm like, man, I just got to get them on the phone. And why don't we do a more traditional podcast where you and I can talk about it? Yeah, so it's good to be with you. I really appreciate it. You're, we're on the phone here. You're from the Poconos now these days. Is that right? Yes, I'm in uh, Lackawanna County. Lackawanna County, northeastern Pennsylvania. So we got a fellow Pennsylvanian, and I really appreciate you taking the time here. What's the temperature like down here? It feels, it feels very mild to me. Okay. Well, oh, that's good. Okay. I've noticed some of the pictures when you're sharing on Facebook there. You've had your share of uh, snow and everything, though, down there in the mountains. You've had uh, the snowblower out and all that good stuff. Fortunately, I have not been uh, having to do an awful lot of shoveling or anything. So we made out so far so good. Winter's, winter's not over yet, though. That's right. We've got plenty of time. But this is a great time for you and I to talk about ordering apple trees for folks that might be consider either expanding their food plots or add, you know sort of adding an apple tree to their food plot or maybe starting a little orchard of their own. This is the time of year. Sooner is better than later when it comes to getting into the tree business, but this is the time of year where you would want to start doing that. So let's start by talking about uh, some of your tips for apple trees. Now, one of the notes that you sent me was growing zones. We can talk about that a little little bit. What are some of your tips about if you're if you're new to apple trees and you want to go out there and start looking at apple tree varieties and deciding on which to buy, what to invest in, where do you start? Well, I think one of the first things you want to do, and I would include pears in this discussion as well. Sure. Because um, I've I planted both and I think actually pears are a little easier and have few, fewer problems. Oh, that's great. That's great information right off the bat. I wish you told me that five, six years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the first thing you, need, you probably need to know is what is your growing zone? Okay. And the USDA has a, a map that's uh, widely available that you can look up by, by zip code, I think, or town name to find out what your USDA growing zone is. Easily find that on the internet. 
Yeah. Yep. So in my case, where I planted the fruit trees in northern Missouri, uh, it's uh, growing zone 5B as in boy. Okay. So that's, that's the first step. You're, you have to have the tree that will be compatible, will survive and produce in the growing zone that you want to actually grow the tree. Sure. So that's, that's, that's the first thing. When we talk about disease resistance, that was another important thing. Another thing that I really didn't take into account and probably should have when I first got into the apple tree business, so to speak. Uh, what are we talking about there with disease resistance? Well, you want to look and see which tree, which variety that you think you want to grow that's going to grow in your zone. Uh, they'll tell you what the disease disease resistance is. Um, there's all kinds of disease diseases. Uh, I'm not an expert on, but you want to find something that's resistant to, say, apple scab or cedar apple rust. And there's some others, too. And, and many of them, if you're growing them for wildlife, aren't super critical, and most of them won't kill the tree, but it'll make the apples look better. Sure, sure. And one of the things that you and I have talked about over the years is that some of these apples, you're, you're growing some trees, you're putting a lot of time and energy and, and maybe expense into this. So you're going to want some apples for yourself out of all of this. So you can share them with the deer. Absolutely. And part of the selection process for me was, of those apples that will grow in my zone and have disease resistance, what are their characteristics? Are they a tart apple? Are they a hard apple? Are they a sweet apple? Make good pies? Do they make good sauce? How do they store? Those kind of things. Yep. Cider is another thing. Some people may want to get into the cider business. Sure. When we're talking about apples, too, another important thing, I think, is when those apples are going to drop. Now, one of the things that I did is that I started looking at apples. I, I was primarily focusing on apples that would drop uh, when I first set this up. Is I, I tried to buy apples that would drop all season long. In other words, some that would drop in August and early September, maybe some September, October varieties, and then some that would even go as late and hold their apples till late November, maybe early December in northeastern Pennsylvania in that growing zone. Is that something that you recommend people do, or would you start small, or what are your thoughts on that? Well, you definitely, and I, I've made mistakes along the way as well, so I'm, I'm giving you what my, my lessons I've learned over the years. <laughs> uh, I started planting in 2012 and 2013, but you know, I always want to look at early, mid-season, and late-blooming apples to begin with, mm -hmm. and if you're going to have those, you have to have an apple that'll cross-pollinate in it to produce fruit. Right. Now, you're bringing up a good point here. We're really looking at two different things. We're looking at when the fruit drops, but we're also looking, that's going to be in the fall, and we're looking at bloom times when those blossoms are out there. The importance of that, am I correct? The importance of that is to make sure that there's, you got to have blossoms out so that bees or other pollinators can fly from one flower to another flower and spread what is necessary to make those things produce fruit later on in the year. Yeah, it does you no good to have a fruit tree that's blooming if you don't have another tree that's blooming at the same time or overlapping bloom times to cross-pollinate. You won't get fruit if that's not the case. So apples really are not self-pollinating or anything like that. We're not talking about I don't think there's that. any, if I'm not mistaken. I think you have to have a cross-pollinator. I think you're right. I think you're right. And I think that's one of the reasons that we look for when you go to some of the different uh, vendors, okay, some of the different nurseries, they're going to recommend for you, uh, they can provide you with that information for different varieties that are going to self-pollinate each other and that sort of thing, go together. So really you're looking when you look for a specific variety of tree, you're going to want to get two trees, unless you have other trees that you are confident can cross-pollinate with the variety that you're buying. Yeah, yeah. You could have a neighbor. You could have. Uh, it depends on your situation, but uh, they need to be in relative close proximity. And I don't know how far that distance is, but it's better to have two trees than you know twenty feet or twenty-five feet that are going to cross pollinate each other. Yeah, closer the better, right? So if you're getting into it, you might want to start by looking. If we're talking about the time of year when they're going to bloom or the time of year when they're going to drop apples, you might want to start with two trees of a different variety, right? I think they have to be a different variety in order to cross pollinate. And then you, what you'd want is two of them that are sort of 
were matched to serve as cross-pollinators. So you might want to start with two trees no matter what. Yeah, I, I went, my dad and I, when we planted them back in 2012, we went full bore. I think that first year in 2012, <laughs> we planted, I don't know, 18 trees. Yeah. And, and we, we overcommitted. So I know. Because start with 18 trees. We will, we might as well discuss that now. One of the things I recommend people, if you're going to get into this apple tree business, you are going to, I've done this in a video, but the first thing you're going to do is get the stuff to cage those trees, to enclose those trees and protect them. And start with a big one. I think your notes, you recommended five, five or six foot high fence, right? Yeah, the, the taller, the better. Uh, five foot minimum, six foot better. I agree. Yeah. That's, and we're talking about protecting them primarily from deer. Yes. Because I think what's going to, they'll eat every leaf on that tree. Yeah. If, if the deer can reach a, a bud or a branch or a, or a leaf, uh, they're going to eat it. Right. They're going to they're gonna eat it. So the first several years, you're going to need some kind of an enclosure. And there's no point putting that tree in the ground if you're not going to protect it from day one. Uh, and I think you agree with me that if you don't build the cage big enough, you're just going to be expanding the cage every year unless you just start with that. I went through that phase too, Rich. <laughs> I learned my lessons. In fact, we didn't even start with wire cages, wire, wire oh. fencing. <clears throat> we used deer netting, right? Right, right. Uh, that did not work too well. Well, you would think it would work perfect. It's deer netting. You would think it would work perfect. It's, it's different, right? It sounds good. Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, the, the deer tore the, tore the netting. Oh. Uh, we used wood posts, so the deer were rubbing on the posts. <laughs> uh, so I'm snapping the posts, so they were they were <laughs> they were they were breaking the posts and cutting the fencing, and the fencing is that fencing itself, that deer netting is very difficult to work with with your hands. You need a dozen stakes around a tree in order to draw a circle of any sort. Yeah, yeah. And those first year, that first year, we started with all all 18 were deer netted, and we didn't have it. It wasn't very big, so we didn't start big enough. Gotcha. The cage was only like I don't know four foot square. Did all your 18 trees survive? Uh, I don't know if they all did. The majority of them did, which which is quite. A testament. Yes, and, right. Uh, I'd say we had 95%, you know, survive. I think you do that, and I think people, if they are, if they want sort of a, a prediction about what kind of success people that, who are listening to this might have, 95%, that's on the high end. I think that's a, that's really good success for, especially if you're getting into it. Yeah, and, that, and one thing we did do, which we had to, because we they have hot summers there, uh, was we, we put the fabric down, and then we put mulch on top to help conserve soil moisture, mm -hmm. which I think probably saved us in most cases. Sure. Yeah, I think that that's another important thing. Mulch is something that, or if you're going to selectively use Roundup very carefully around the base of the tree, if you feel comfortable with that, or weed whacking, whatever else, you do need to, these are not plant them and forget them type trees. They need a little bit of nurturing and help. And and the, the that mulch, that weed control is important, I think, because it's going to, re, you know, like you mentioned, moisture, but also the nutrients from the soil. The, the, everything that grows around that tree is going to rob those nutrients and moisture from the tree. So to give them the best chance, you got to take care of that as well. What else do we have to take care of on these? We're going to protect them from deer. We're going to make sure that we have the um, the, uh, the the bottom of the around the tree protected. You know, do we have to worry about uh, rabbits? Yeah, now we got to talk about small animals. Yeah, uh, the can... cage does not keep it keeps the deer out, and that's about it. That'll keep the big animals out. Although I did have a rabbit sneak through one of those uh, four by six uh, wire fencing too. But uh, primarily, you want to protect them other than the deer, rabbits. Mold, mold, and mice. Now, and what are the what are they targeting? Well, they're going to chew on the bark generally. If you get the snow depth, if they're looking for, they're getting desperate for food. They'll be looking to chew on the bark of the tree, the, yeah. the, the trunk of the tree. Right, and I can tell from my experience, I've had uh, where you come down there. It's pretty. It's pretty. It's a sad 
bad day when you come down here in the spring and your the snow's finally melted off and you look and one of your trees has been ringed by something that chose the bark as food. So and that, that certainly happened to me. I put four in uh, a few years ago and I was in a hurry to plant and I did the wire fencing around the cage, but I didn't put the hardware cloth uh, around the trunk of the tree. And when I came back in the spring, they had chewed all the way around the trees and the trees were dead. Oh, well, I, and I think what we want to do there is get wrappers. Yes. And, or, or hardware cloth. You need some kind of barrier. Right. Um, and when the trees get older, now we can do, I, I think you're still going to have to protect them from deer and the, the buck's antlers rubbing against the trees. Have you gotten to that point with your trees out in the Midwest property? Well, I've still got, I've still got, I, usually, I think you've gone to the same thing. I've got a 25 foot uh, linear encircled fence around that tree. Okay. Yeah. We should talk about that too. We're talking about welded wire now. Welded wire fencing. Yes. And you're cutting it at 25 foot lengths gives you a circle of about six foot diameter. Yeah. I started smaller. And, uh, <laughs> if, you, if you have a small tree, just overlap it to start with and, and let it, you know, expand as the tree grows. Right. Right. You're going to want that extra cage. I ended up taking, you know, two cages, combining every two cages to make one cage and then buying it. It just is a lot easier. Yep. Did the same thing. Yep. yep. So pe- hopefully people learn something from our mistakes here, our mutual mistakes, because we make it, we're making very similar. I don't, I wouldn't call them mistakes. They're learning. You know, this is part of the learning process and that's what it is. So we've got the wrappers or the hardware cloth. We're going to protect it from that. I think you could probably use chicken wire as the trees get older to wrap around and protect the bark to, to discourage bucks from rubbing on it. But at that point, you better be confident that the deer can't get stand on their hind feet and eat all the branches is, you know, the, that's when you've got about a, an 8, 10 foot tall tree, probably, when you're going to start removing. That's, you don't really... All depends on what your, you know, the height of your lower limbs. Right. And, then they, and you have to decide when, you know, as you grow, as the tree's growing, how, how many and where are you going to start removing some of those lower limbs as the tree gets taller? Yeah, yep, yep. And that's something that, you know, that's part of the fun of it, the pruning now. What would you recommend as resources? First of all, let's talk about for a guy who's new on this, before we talk about how to prune, do you have to prune? Well, you definitely have to prune. I mean, Otherwise, your tree is going to be growing too many limbs and branches, and that's going to be counterproductive to getting light and air through the trees and getting flower blossoms to pollinate and apples to grow or, or pears. Right. It's going to increase moisture. You're going to have more disease problems. Yep. You're going to have more pests. You're going to have uh, a greater likelihood of branches breaking off with heavy snows, for example, if the branches aren't pop- properly aiming, you know, as they're coming out of the trunk or what have you. So what, what would you recommend? I mean, I know where I'm going to go with this to, to recommend, but if you're talking about people learning how to prune trees, uh, what's the best resource overall for learning how to prune apple trees? Well, I, I learned from Stephen Hayes and uh, on YouTube. YouTube. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's a big name. That's where I started, but I've, I've watched a lot of people on YouTube, read a lot of articles, uh, but YouTube was a big help. It was a huge, you, you suggested that channel to me way back when. That was one of the first ones I started with. I'd recommend, like anything else, you watch a lot of different videos on it. If you're going to get into it, it's worth, it's worth spending that time time to really, really get a good feeling for the pruning. Pruning, I will say from my experience, when my daughter got into it and she learned how to do it, it became a fun activity because she could go with me and, and we were both, we were talking to each other and commenting on what we were doing from different trees. And it was just, it was, if you're not in a rush and this goes back to maybe not planning more than you need to right off the bat, you know, start small with this. It isn't a bad idea. Start with a couple of trees and I think we can do pretty good. You, you are up to, am I correct? You're up 
to like 50 trees now, though. It's between 40 and 50. I, I kind of <laughs> lost count uh, exactly. And I know it's 40, and I added another 10 or 12 or 15. I'm not sure. <laughs> but, but, but getting back to pruning, my wife Nancy helps me prune. And it, it's really good to have an extra set of eyes uh-huh. as you're encircling the tree and getting a second opinion. I, I think that's pretty valuable because she's got a, a good uh, feel for what needs to be pruned now. She can she knows what she's doing pruning-wise. And, boy, you got the extra set of eyes. I, I agree there because what happens, you'll be pruning away. If you ever circle a tree, go to the other side or go a third of the way around a tree, all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, what was I thinking? This is still, st- this all this has got to go too or whatever. Take your time, circle the tree, get a second opinion because once you cut, <laughs> it's not going back on there. I, oh, that's for sure. It's a, it's a final thing. I think people, my daughter is sort of the opposite of the end of the spectrum for me. I'm, I'm okay going in there and if I feel comfortable with it, I'm okay squeezing a trigger and pruning. She will micromanage for hours and deliberate, you know, spending several minutes before making any cut. But I think with more experience, you get more comfortable with that. And it's probably safe to start out that way. That you, you Like you said, you can't put it back. Yeah. And no two people are going to prune the, the same tree the same way. Right, right. There's lots of lots of ways to prune that. And in the end, it may not make a difference or it might make a difference, but everybody's going to prune a little bit different. Right. And I think, you know, pruning, the important thing is that pruning, though, is going to free up more resources for that tree to generate fruit. And if you don't do it, that tree's not going to generate its potential. Right. Now, when we talk about where to buy these trees, um, I know that I've had some luck with some of the same places that you've gone. What are some of the nurseries online or otherwise where you've gone to purchase trees or to look at trees? Well, the ones I've purchased from myself, I know you've, I think you've uh, uh, purchased from Grandpa's Orchard before. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, I haven't used them, but I would would use them. Uh, They have a great website, and I'm not endorsed by any of these, obviously. Same here, same here, but their, their website is full of information, as is Stark Bros, and I think you were going to mention them as well, Stark Brothers. Stark, Stark Brothers is where I bought the majority of our uh, apple trees. Uh, pear trees I bought from Holman Farms Wildlife Nursery. Okay. They're, I think they're in South Carolina, I believe. Um, Century Farm Orchards is another farm, I think, in, I think it's in North Carolina. Um, they're, they're very helpful. They have a lot of different varieties that may be harder to find, but he's very, uh, trying to think of the guy's name, um, Dave Vernon. Okay. Um, he's got a great website, has some instructional videos. Again, I'm pruning, planting, everything. Very, very educational, very good. And I uh, bought a number of trees from him. And I've, I've, I've grafted trees and, and, and things like that, too. Uh, Adams County Nursery, I think that was another one you mentioned. Yes, Adams County, sorry, that's on my list as well. What was interesting, I, I forget what specific uh, variety it was, but they had one I could not find somewhere else. And I was looking for a cross-pollinator, and they actually had the one. It's like the only place that had the one that I want. So you'll find, if you sort of go through these and spend some time on their websites, that some of them carry a slightly different inventory. Yeah, and Adams County uh, for Pennsylvania area is probably probably the premier one uh, in our area that uh, has big collection. Has It's a very reputable. They ship all over the place. Uh, I wouldn't hesitate to buy from them as well. At Arbor Day uh, Foundation as well. That's one thing I'll throw out there. Anytime you're talking about trees, they do have some varieties. You can get deals from them if you join them for $25 a year or something like that. And you're supporting a good cause. They're not a bad outfit to join uh, or to look at too. And they can give you a lot of information. A lot of these websites just have incredible information sources to go through and learn about pruning or cross-pollination. They have charts, everything else that you could possibly want. There's uh, three different size trees when you go to buy a, a tree with a rootstock on it, which is going to give your, your disease-resistant uh, roots and a healthy, strong root that will support the tree. Um, you have dwarf, which is going to be a you know 8- to 10-foot tree. 
and that tree's probably going to need some staking, maybe permanently, because they don't have a strong root system. Then you've got semi-dwarf, which is probably for fruit tree growers in a food plot or a farm setting or a backyard setting. That's going to be a 12 to 15 foot tree that does not need any staking. Uh, the semi-dwarf is going to produce in, say, three to five years if you're lucky. Uh, the dwarf tree will grow apples potentially in three years. And then you've got the full-size 20 to 30 foot standard tree, which I think uh, the 100-year-old apple tree is. Um, so it's gonna, it gets really big and it takes a long time, could be 10 years, uh, to get apples off of it. So you got the three different sizes. Some needs One needs support. Some, the dwarf trees need support for its entire life because it just doesn't have a strong root system. The semi-dwarf, which is a taller tree, but it produces in a few more years after the dwarf tree. And then you got the, the standard-sized tree, a full-size 20 to 30-foot tree that's going to be really hard to prune and it's going to produce a lot more apples, but it's going to take longer, many years more uh, to get to get seed fruit again. The sweet spot for deer is going to be the semi-dwarf. Yeah, almost everybody I've talked to when they and they want you know they want to wait forever and they don't want a tiny tree, so the semi-dwarf fits that role quite nicely. Right. And I think that's what yours are. My, all mine are semi-dwarfs. That's what I yeah, yeah. across the board. Yep. 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 Um, uh, crab apples. We should talk briefly about that now. If you planted cra- like I know a lot of the the varieties we're talking about are ones that have been cultivated over years to sp- provide a specific service, whether it's a specific taste or like we talked before, some of them are better for cider than others. Some of them last longer and are pre- easier to preserve than others. Some are better than pies than in pies than others. But have you ever you've been planting? I think some some varieties of crab apples, right? I do. Uh, a Whitney crab apple I planted. Dolgo is a big name for a crab apple. Is that a red apple? Yeah. I think it's a, that's a red crab. The crab that I'm familiar with where I'm from, I'm not even sure what variety it is. It's, now, are these crab apples, and this is for my own information, like we told, we talked before, and you and I have talked about the 100-year-old apple tree, for example, here you know, on my videos. It's an apple tree. It's been around for an awful long time on the property where I grew up. That's we, what we affectionately call a crab apple. Is that the same type of crab apple? Is it the same type of tree when we're talking about Dolgo or Whitney? I mean, it's a, uh, when they say crab apple, gen- they're generally talking about the size of the apple. Right. So if it's a smaller, I don't know what the threshold is, inch and a half, two inches. Right. Uh, anything that size or smaller, they're gonna, probably going to call a crab apple. So I think when we're talking about these different varieties, really people, you need to spend, I would suggest that people go and spend some time on the websites and and see what the descriptions of those apples are. Would you agree? They, you know, find an apple that's going to, two different varieties, start with that, that are going to suit your needs and then sort of, sort of go from there. Absolutely. Uh, we talked a little bit about the 100-year-old apple tree, but another way to grow these trees or to make new trees, and this is something you're big on, is you know free trees, free plants. Because you have a history here not just with apples and pears, but also with berry bushes, things of that nature as well, right? Uh, I do have a history of that. I've kind of self-taught myself again. I started watching YouTube videos. Yep. Uh, lots, of, lots of people are doing it out there. And if you, you start Googling plant propagation, uh, you'll find a, a whole bevy of guys doing it. Some are doing it for a living. Some are, some are doing it for fun. But yeah, I've, I've uh, propagated uh, hazelnuts, 
uh, elderberry, um, black chokeberry. Those are the, the three big ones that I propagate. And I think most recently we had, or we've made an effort in recent years here to propagate the hundred-year-old apple tree. Yes. Have we had via grafting? Yes. And that was grafting. Similar process. I mean, you're taking the uh, the original plant and making new copies of that original plant. That is correct. Look, looked at the other day in the backyard nursery here. Uh, it's about four feet high. It's basically a whip, which right now means it doesn't have any branches yet. Right. So this year we'll be uh, I'll be topping the top of the whip, and and that'll stimulate branching. So I'm going to repot it to a bigger pot, and uh, we'll give it one more year of growth. Hopefully that'll be about all it needs, and then we need to find a place for it. Fantastic! It's turning into a real tree. Look at that. That's awesome. And the awesome. thing is, then then once that tree gets of size, if you want another one, you can just graft that onto another rootstock. Right. Hopefully this take cutting, and you'll have another another tree if you want one. You can't ask for more. I'm telling you, the option or the ability to keep the hundred year old apple tree going forever. The hundred year old apple tree, that old tree, of course, is is getting close to the end of its life cycle. I think I think it's uh, over the last several years, it's had a lot of struggles, and maybe there's a save to that, maybe there isn't, but it's just one of those things that it's nice to see that you have options with these things. Yes. Do you think people should be talking about uh, fertilizing these trees when they plant them, liming them? Now, we always talk about that with our food plots. Do you think that that's an important subject for people who are planting the trees? Absolutely. You'd probably, you're going to hear it from the food plot guys, too. Get a soil sample. Get a soil sample. <laughs> uh, but it's, it is, uh, again, I didn't do that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> to do it right, uh, you need to do a soil sample first. And uh, if you need to correct your pH, uh, you can do that. And then you'll also find out what your soil may be lacking. But the first year you planted, most of the people I've read about say that you should not fertilize for the first year while the roots get established. Okay, right. We're, we're going to do at the beginning what we're trying to do with that tree. And that's another function of pruning is to limit the growth above ground so that those roots get good and solid and get a good base and they can access the nutrients, access all the moisture that they're going to need to help that tree eventually grow to full size. For that same reason, are we going to limit the food, fruit production at the beginning? Absolutely. And, I, and this is debatable. Some people saying it's got to be you take the, take the blooms off for the first three years, the flower buds. Yep. If they open, cut them off for at least one, two or three years, depending on who you're listening to. But uh, you can kind of tell by yourself when the tree's ready to handle fruit. You need some strong limbs first. Sure. You know, you want that the energy to go into getting the tree big so you can hopefully get it above the deer's browse line as soon as you can. So, I, I mean, it depends on how the tree's growing and how, how strong your limbs are. Right. Right. And for that reason, you're, you certainly are going to be removing any apples for the first year or two, three, maybe even three years. Right. Yes. And then once that tree, and then you can tell by the, looking at the tree, if the soil has been good for that tree, that tree's really, really tall. It looks really strong. It's really taking off. I've had some that really looked like they were doing well and others, you know, just took extra years to get to the point where you could let an apple grow. And Mother Nature is going to be a big part of that. The two years that we planted our first, uh, whatever, 35 or so, uh, we had two <laughs> drought years back to back. 2012, oh, wow. 2013, it was very hot and extremely dry both those summers, which which always amazed me that most of those trees survived that because it was just brutal. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. and in the summer, that's crucial. Right. Right. I, you know, we sometimes we get lucky and sometimes it's, I think we're making our own luck here, though. You're, you dug proper holes, you did proper soil preparation, followed the instructions that came with the trees to a T, make sure you got them planted at the right depth, all that stuff that's important. And over time, you get rewarded with a whole bunch of trees, a <laughs> whole bunch of fruit. I agree. And, and last fall, last summer, last fall was really the first year we got something significant out of our, our fruit trees. I didn't eat any, but the animals 
had plenty of pears and apples out there to eat, which was very satisfying to see that. That is great. And it's only going to improve from this point out. I mean, you're, you're just hitting the threshold now where that's starting to get that return on investment. Every year is going to be more and more of that. Exactly. Now, and I think that's an important observation with apple trees, too. One of the things I tried to make when I tried to do this podcast on my own was that, you know, I planted oak trees, too. I've got, uh, I bought 24, I think a two dozen oak trees that I've scattered around the property. But you're talking, you know, years and years and years before they produce a significant amount of food. I mean, we're talking decades, potentially, before you're really going to produce a lot of that. Not saying that you shouldn't get involved in that and that you shouldn't get involved in that sooner rather than later. I, I think you probably agree with me. Nut trees don't take quite as, mi- as much uh, maintenance as the fruit trees, but the payoff is not as soon. No, no, it depends on what kind of nut tree. But uh, yeah, they can, they can be a long time in some cases. Yeah, yeah. I mean, acorns, it's, it's just going to take. When I walked around on the state game lands recently and saw, you know, oak trees that Genevieve and I can't put our arms around, that is not something that you can replace. <laughs> well, these big trees probably 100 years plus old. Right, right. It's That's just, it's remarkable. So great stuff. So hopefully we'll get to the point where you've got those kinds of apples and it's great to hear that they're starting to produce now. They are, and yes. We'll see where we can go. And hopefully we've provided some good information for folks that uh, might want to get into this. And Mark, one of the things you and I should talk about is down the road, we ought to get together again and talk about uh, food plots. I'd love that. I think we're, I would appreciate your input on that as well, because we're getting to the point here very soon where people are going to be talking about putting in those spring food plots. And then, of course, later in the summer, we have our fall food plot plantings that people will be looking at throughout uh, the area here, you know, for wherever they happen to be, wherever they happen to do their deer hunting. Probably uh, food plots are part of that equation or something that's worthy of discussion. The friends of Bungie that are growing food plot. <laughs> Let's hope so. Let's hope so. It certainly is a fun enterprise. but And the apple trees go great with that. There's no reason why you can't have both right in the same area. Put a, a one tree on each end of your food plot and you should be in good Absolutely. shape. Absolutely. Yeah, most of mine are around the edges of the food plot, so it makes it easier to uh, work the center of the food plot with the with the equipment. Um, yep. So ringing, ringing on the outside is not a bad strategy. I don't think so at all. You got that way you're covering all the bases. Yes. I hope these tips for me and from friend of Bungie, Mark Borchard, are helpful. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. Until next time, all hail Bungie. Bungie. <laughs>